This is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Woman Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Lynn Varghese was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2003. After three surgeries and a shunt, it was found to be benign, thank goodness. In 2012, she began training martial arts in her basement for a full year before finally joining a martial art class. She's a devoted wife and mother, as well as an energetic and determined martial art woman and instructor. Listen in to her inspiring story about overcoming her brain tumor and why she began her martial art journey in the first place. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Lynn is really delightful, and I had a wonderful time with this interview. Please pick up my motivational books, The Martial Arts Woman and Martial Art Inspirations for Everyone, available on Amazon, or contact me for signed copies or more information. Treat yourself or someone else to the power of martial arts in life. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the Martial Arts Woman podcast. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. I hope you're having a good morning so far. Who, uh, I didn't ask this in your questions, but who sort of nominated you to be on this podcast? That would be Bethany Dillon. I trained with her before here in St. Louis several times. Uh, She's become a really good friend. Um, We've had encouraging talks through, you know, social media and things like that. We did archery together for a while. She's had a lot of uh, health issues recently, so that's kind of halted that. But she's kind of been an encourager in the background uh, with all this martial arts uh, training and stuff. And so she's just been a blessing in my life. Oh, that's wonderful. And I I know Bethany on um, social media as well. So that was really super nice of her to nominate you. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit about your martial art journey. And every woman has a different journey. They're so interesting to listen to. Let's talk about why you began learning martial arts. Can you tell me a little bit about how that journey began? Sure. Um, well, I my background is basically my family has a history of Alzheimer's. So my grandmother had Alzheimer's plus Parkinson's, and then eventually my uncle got Alzheimer's. So, you know, you put two and two together, and you're like, oh, it's coming down the pike uh, for myself and my family. And uh, so I thought, my son at that time, he was training martial arts. He trained in the Filipino martial arts in um, Jeet Kune Do and uh, some Silat. And he had done it for about six years or so. And I used to, of course, take him to his training. So I'd sit there and I'd watch him. And I'd, I just love the way that it was taught and the fluidity of the movements. And so I kind of watched him for several years. I'm like, boy, that's really cool. And maybe this would be good mentally for me to learn. So it might help me later on, you know, not succumb to so many effects of Alzheimer's. And so I talked to my husband. I said, hey. I would love to learn this. Well, it's when he saw it, my husband, he's from South India. His name is Soman. He's like, this is very male dominated 
uh, martial arts. And I'm like, yeah. So he said, eh, maybe hold off. You know, so I thought, well, okay, let's make a compromise. I'm going to get a heavy bag. I'm going to get a pair of sticks and I'm going to get video <laughs> and I'm yeah. going to go to my basement and I'm going to train the martial arts that my son is learning. And so I literally did that. I got Dan and Asano's uh, collector series DVD, went to the basement and I work from home. Uh, so it was really easy for me to take 30 minutes off my work, go to the basement, pick up my sticks, pick up the DVD and train these martial arts on my own with a heavy bag. And I did that literally every day, 30 minutes a day for a whole year. And that was in 2011. That's, and, really, that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so I would watch the video and I'd learn the movements and I was like, this is really awesome. It, it wasn't just mentally helping me, but physically it was helping me. I was moving, I was twisting, I was using my core. And I saw a lot of wonderful benefits of learning several of these martial arts, which inner coordinate with each other and benefit each other in several ways. And uh, so after a while, I told my husband, I said, you know, I really need to have some contact. I mean, a heavy bag's great, but you need some kind of reaction from somebody. And so I said, okay, how about if I become Benjamin's training partner? Well, at the time, <laughs> Benjamin, you know, he was young and he wasn't so much, oh, my mom's my training partner. You know, yeah. I can't tell yeah. buddies. Yeah. So I basically told Soma and I said, I'd really love to go train with Ben. And he agreed. And that was around 2012. And so I became Benjamin's training partner. And I did that for several years, went to seminars with him in Asano seminars and trained with Benjamin. And I enjoyed it so much. And then Benjamin, of course, he gets older. He goes to high school and he needs to meet some new friends. Right. So it's like, OK, do I go to the wrestling team to learn wrestling and meet some friends or do I continue martial arts training with my mother? So right. literally he's getting right. 16, 17 years old. It's like, well, of course, you know what happened. He picked the wrestling over his mother, yeah. uh, which was fine. I completely understood. So I went back to my husband. I said, you know, I really love to continue training with Benjamin's trainer, which I did. And I trained with him for about two and a half years, uh, switched several different schools and I had another trainer for another two and a half years. And so yeah, my initial desire to learn the martial arts because of Alzheimer's in my family. And yeah. it just kind of grew from there. And I, I had no, you know, desire to take it any further than just the mental and emotional and physical benefits it gave. Um, but it just kept going and growing and growing. And that that's basically the reason why I started. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And Everybody has different reasons for starting. There are a lot of women on the show who start because their kids are in a class and they look at it and they think, I, w I really want to try that. What I yes. find interesting, though, is that you were so self-motivated to do the, the videos, which is really interesting in the world we're in right now because it reminds people you don't have to stop training right now due to COVID. If your right. school's not open or whatever, I mean, go get some videos. Do what yeah. you can. Um, yes. it's, it's maybe not perfect because you don't have like the one-on-one -on -one contact, but right. it is definitely a great option. Yes. So tell me a little bit about where you currently, you're a teacher now, I believe. Um, and tell me where you currently teach and where, and where that is. I currently teach at, uh, the Kali Academy of St. Louis. Um, and so we, we're at a different place and we split off from them and we started this 
right before COVID started, which was such a bummer. Mm. Um, so uh, it, before that, I'll, I'll probably get into the history of other things that I kind of worked on prior to the Cali Academy. But uh, I just was like, wow, what do we do now? And so we took some break. A lot of places were closed. Um, and so during that time, like you said, there's no reason not to keep training. And so during my journey of all this with the COVID is that at the same time I'm teaching at the College Academy of St. Louis, I was busy getting an instructorship under Rick Fay, who was out of the Minnesota College Group and of course, uh, Minnesota. And, um, I was training with them on Zoom mind you, from the end of March all the way up to today. So nine months of training online yeah. lended itself to get an instructorship under Rick. And that's the curriculum that I teach right now at the Collie Academy. But I just do it Monday nights mm -hmm. just because of the COVID. I mean, you just have to be careful with what you do, um, how you do it. The social distancing is very hard with the martial arts, especially with a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah. Um, and it's just been a kind of a roller coaster year for everybody. Um, and so you just do, like you said before, with what you have. And the Zoom has been awesome for me um, to keep me training. So I train and teach Monday nights and uh, I teach the MKG curriculum and I love it. I mean, it gives me it gets me out of the house, which my husband probably prefers once in a while. <laughs> so I get the house a little bit. I get to see people that, you know, of course I love to see. We're all masked up and uh, yeah, we just train yeah. because we love it so much. So what are some of your titles currently? Because you, you are an instructor in different systems. Um, yes. Just tell me a few of those. So under Guru Joe Craig, who I trained with uh, for at least two and a half years, was at Apex Martial Arts Academy here in St. Louis. Um, I am an instructor in the Apex Integrated Method, which that's more of uh, the Filipino martial arts, the uh, Jeet Kune Do, and the C-Lot all mixed together. I'm an associate instructor in the La Costa Inasano Method of Filipino martial arts, apprentice instructor in Jung Fung Gun Fu Jeet Kune Do, and apprentice instructor in Mafalinto C-Lot. And then under Rick Fay, as of this year, which is amazing with everything going on, I still trained and tested, uh, became an MKG level one instructor with Rick. Well, very impressive for the number of years that you've put into it. Sounds like you've really uh, done so much in yeah, martial arts and learning it and, and now teaching it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand you've also applied to become an instructor under an important member of the martial art community. Um, what is that about and why is it so important to you? Well, that would be, of course, uh, the man himself, I guess, Guru uh, mm -hmm. Dan and Asano. Um, when I started, I didn't know who this guy was. Uh, right. <laughs> who is, <laughs> why is he important? And um, so, so it was around 2018, 2019, give or, so, give or take, um, I was put up for instructorship under Guru Inasano. Uh, it's still kind of limbo right now. Of course, the COVID has caused a whole bunch of chaos. And um, I was told that if I wanted to become an instructor under Guru, in a, Guru Dan Inasano, I needed to attend several seminars to get at least a minimum of 200 hours training with him. And at the first onset, you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of hours, which it is. That's a lot of yeah. travel. 
Yes, it is. That's a lot of money. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all over the U.S. And so 2017 was, I guess, my key year to just get out of the house, travel around, fall grew Dan and Asano around kind of like a, you know, a little, yeah. or, you a know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and um, my husband knew that I had to get these hours. So he travels a lot for business. So it actually was a blessing in the sense that he had all these travel miles and he really helped me get to these seminars. Sometimes he would come for support and sometimes mm -hmm. he would basically shoot me out of the house. And so, right. and so I did that and I went to at least eight seminars that year. And to most people like, oh, that's probably a lot. And yeah, it is. Um, and sometimes I had a training partner, sometimes I didn't. And I would just go with the anticipation. I'll find somebody, I'll train with them and I'll get my hours in. And I remember when I got done at uh, MKG in Minnesota for a Dan and Asano seminar in um, September, my husband, even I was at the airport, I think he sent me a message or he called me and he said, Lynn, I signed you up for another one. I said, what? <laughs> I thought I was done. I said, where are you sending me? He said, you're going to New York. I said, I'm going where? And so and I said, are you coming? He said, no. I like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm going by myself. He said, yeah, you're going by yourself. So ended up going to New York to group Kevin Siemens school. He had Dan and Asano there. And, um, I guess, uh, Guru and Asano had seen me at several of these seminars. Yeah. <laughs> made seminars. And I'm standing there and Guru and Asano's talking and he, he looks at me. And at that time, I don't think he really knew my name, but he knew the face. Yeah. And he looked at me and says, I think he said something to the effect of, hey, uh, you from St. Louis. He knew where I was from. That's just amazing. This man is just amazing. And he said, do you know this drill? I said, yeah, yes, which I'm like, part of me was like, did you just say yes? He says, <laughs> you're, you're going to get up here and you're going to do the drill with his uh, training partner, which is uh, Joel Clark. And I'm like, okay. So I got up there, I did the drill to the best of my ability, and I got done. And I was like, my heart, I think, was beating out of my chest. And um, I did a pretty good job. And yeah. I was like, why am I up here? You know, I'm, I'm not, when people get to know me, it's like, are you an introvert, an extrovert? I consider myself an ambivert. Basically, mm -hmm. I prefer to be in, you know, mix in with the uh, wallpaper, right? Right. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be on center stage. But if it's something that's meaningful to me to teach, like the martial arts, I will become an extrovert. I will open my mouth. I will do my thing. But then when that's done, and I know people know how this goes, when an introvert does that, they get very exhausted because it's very draining. And yeah. so I would go back into my introvert status. So when that happened, when Gurunit Sano did that, it's like, okay, that was good for me in the sense it pushed me. And um, I saw it as a positive, but it freaked me out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, subsequently after that, what does he do? He sees me. Yeah, Lynn, come up here. Lynn, come up here. Oh, no, I'm trying to hide. I'm trying to hide. <laughs> but the pushing was humbling. Because Guru Dan and Asano brought me up there, it showed, I guess, a confidence in my ability to demonstrate mm -hmm. what I'm training. And so that was uh, just an experience I won't forget. So to become an instructor under this amazing teacher, instructor, uh, Guru, Sifu, uh, would be a blessing to me to have. But um, 
I, you know, I can get stuck on, I don't have the paper. I don't have the paper. I have some wonderful, amazing friends, especially Linda Ramsey, who is working and teaching with uh, Guru Rick Fay. She said, Lynn, you can have the piece of paper, but she said, it doesn't take away that you don't have it, the experience and the knowledge that you gained from all these seminars. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like just being encouraged in that way. And she is so right. Cause you can get so tied up in, for me, I can get so tied up in the piece of paper on my wall that, Oh, I've got this goal. I've done all the work, but I don't mm-hmm. have paper. But she's like, Lynn, the experience you've gained is still there. That can't be taken away. And it was like, Ooh. so, you know, I, like I said, I'm still in limbo and yeah. I'm, still, I'm still fine with that. In the sense that I, I just, uh, you know, admire Guru Dan and Asano when I see him. I, you know, I just love learning from him, from his knowledge. And it's, I'm just going to keep going forward. And uh, so that, that would be a blessing. But the knowledge I've gained has just been overwhelming. And I'm very appreciative for that. Yeah. What great experiences, really. So many people would love to have those experiences. And it's nice to hear someone talk about it. We're going to step back into your personal life just a little bit. Um, Sometimes I start with the personal background. Sometimes I don't. Today, I chose to kind of stick it here in the middle. Um, (laughs) And tell me a little bit about where you were born and raised and, um, you know, if you have any children, that kind of thing. And then we're going to delve into a little bit of a a traumatic life experience. So start with your personal background a little bit. Okay. I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm a Missouri-St. Louis girl. Um, I did live in Grand Rapids, Michigan for two years when I was younger, so I was a snow girl for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, I hold a bachelor's degree in Christian ministries and a minor in art from uh, Southwest Baptist University. I also have an associate's degree as a registered health information technician which is considered also an RHIT, which is what I use with my, what, what, I, what I do currently. Mm-hmm. And then I married my husband, Solman. Like I said before, he's from South India. Uh, I married him in 1993, so we've been married 27 years. And we have one child, Benjamin, and he is, was born in 1998. And the amazing thing is that he is now a registered nurse here in St. Louis. He works at Barnes Jewish Hospital on the transplant floor, and he has just been, of course, you know, we like to brag and dote on our kids, but he is a truly amazing young man, and uh, it's, you know, people say, well, you guys have done a wonderful job raising him. Well, we've just done the best we can, and just, uh, you know, with the Lord's guidance, just taught him the best that we saw fit in all areas of life, and he's just... uh, He's just been amazing. So we're very, very proud of him, of course. And then I have an older brother, uh, just one older brother. His name, mind you, here you go, is Leif Erickson. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And my maiden name, of course, is uh, Erickson. And so I have a Norwegian, Scandinavian background with a little bit of uh, Irish in there. My mom's maiden name is Brian. And, um, of course, my dad, you know, he thought he was always a Swede, uh, Scandinavian dude, but he's actually more... Uh, a British guy, which my husband, like, give him a really hard time because, you know, his Viking ideas of us being Viking heritage, it was more on my mother's side than my dad's, and it's kind of a family joke. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, but, and my mom and dad are still living, and so they're about 40 minutes away from where we live, so we see them quite a bit. 
Um, so that's a little bit about my personal background. Mm -hmm. That's um, nice. Uh, it's great to talk about family, especially during these times. Family is so important, and it's nice to to have a close family. Now, you have an experience. We talked earlier about you know you not a fear of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but a but a thought in the back of your mind it it could happen to you and you thought martial arts maybe could help you avoid, not, a, you know, I don't know, deal with, void, I don't know, yeah. uh, some of these medical issues. And I, I personally believe that being as healthy as possible does help you uh, in those areas. But still, you had a traumatic life experience in 2003. What happened? And tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Um, well, at the time I was working at Mercy Hospital, I wasn't uh, a medical coder, which is what I do now um, at the time, but we had hard copy charts, right? And mm. hard copy charts, medical charts in the back. So I was the person that if the floor needed a chart, I would go to the back, I would remove the chart and send it to wherever it needed to go. So I went one day into the back room, I lifted my head up, reached for a chart, brought my head back down, and I felt pressure on my head. And I thought, well, that's odd. I've never felt that before. And then I started to have some vision changes when I was on the computer, and I had some migraine headaches. So we're pretty proactive when it comes to health. So my husband said, you need to call your primary care doctor. So I did. And I explained what I was having symptoms of. And he said, well, that I can understand the migraines to a certain extent. It could be allergies, it could be all kinds of things. Um, he said, I don't understand the pressure on the head. He said, that yeah. kind of concerns me. And it's like, Ugh. you know, I was kind of taking it lightly because I kind of like, oh, maybe it's just a migraine and I'm just changing. I'm getting older. I was around 35 years old at the time. And so I went in and had an MRI and the doctor calls me at home and I'm like, well, that's, this is probably not good. And he says, well, then you have a brain tumor. It's like, excuse me, you know, you're, you're just like in mm -hmm. denial. And he says the it's actually in your pineal gland. Well, I didn't know too much about the brain um, as far as detail. He says, well, the pineal gland's very deep in the brain. And he said, well, you usually don't see tumors that deep. It's not, you know, it's more rare, I guess. Sometimes they're more in the frontal area or whatever. And he says, well, we are going to have to have you go to a specialist. Well, I went to a specialist, neurosurgeon. And he checked my eyes and he says, you have papilledema. Basically, there was pressure in my head pushing on the backs of my eyes. And he says, you have hydrocephalus as well. So basically, the ventricles in my brain were swelled up because of this tumor cyst. They call it all kinds of things. But any of those words just freaks you out, especially when it has to do with the brain. And so I went in and this nurse said, well, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to admit you immediately. Well, that kind of sets off alarms. And he was an mm -hmm. old neurosurgeon. He says, this is what we're going to do. He's very... The bedside manner with the neurosurgeon I found out was pretty bad, but in the sense, <laughs> they were very honest with you. They didn't yeah. want you unknowingly going into something. He said, we're going to take part of your skull out and we're going to put it in the refrigerator. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 you lost me at the part where you're going to take part of my skull out. Uh, it's like, okay. And so the nice thing about it is I had three doctors on my case, neurosurgeons, brilliant men. And the second doctor said, no, 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 we don't have to do that. What we'll do is we'll do an external shunt to relieve the pressure from your head. So for me, I'm like, what the stink is a shunt? You know, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. 
And so basically said, well, we're going to have to shave your hair. And it's like, and I'm, I'm big about my hair. I love my hair long and it's really thick usually and naturally curly. And it's like, you're going to do what? And so they had to shave my hair, of course, in the front. They had to make an external shot. They did that first. I had three surgeries. First one they did was they relieved the pressure from my brain. I was in the ICU for two weeks um, through all of this. And my son was five. And so as a, a mother and 35 years old, you're like, Lord, is this it? I mean, I, yeah. I don't want to yeah. go out this way. I've got a lot of life to live, you know. And you, you think that. And it's like, so there's a lot of crying during this whole process with my husband and myself and praying and got in there. And so the second doctor, he was going to do the biopsy because they have to check to see if it's benign or malignant. Mm -hmm. And so this doctor was amazing doctor. He developed a stereotactic device, robotic device that literally will, with his typing things in, will go into and drain the cyst to get a sample biopsy. So that was my second surgery. That was actually the toughest surgery for me for recovering. And then they came back and said it's benign because uh, once they aspirate it, they want to make sure it doesn't come back up, right, and fill back up with fluid. Yeah. yeah. And the fluid inside was benign. And it's like, okay, great. So the doctor came back and said, well, you still have pressure and headaches. I said, well, I still have headaches. He said, well, that's strange. So they assumed that um, there was still pressure in my head just because of the traumatic, uh, you know, thing yeah. that was happening. And so they said, we're going to internalize your shunt. It's like, well, that stinks. So, okay. You know, at that point you're like, whatever comes, I, I'm fine. As long as you can get me out of the hospital, back to my son, my family, my husband. So they internalized my shunt. So I have a bump on the right side of my head, which is the valve for my shunt. And I mean, if I had a picture of myself, I can turn my head to the left and you see what looks like to a vein on the right side of my neck is actually a tube. Um. And that into my abdomen. So it's supposed to drain the cerebral fluid. So after several follow-up MRIs, which are required, they said, well, it just now it's just scar tissue. Uh, there's nothing there. So that was an answer to prayer. And they said, well, we're not going to take the shunt out. I said, well, yeah, you don't need to go back into my brain right. and, my, <laughs> and take out the shunt. They said, you're just going to have to live with it. And I'm like, that's perfectly fine, you know. And if I have certain symptoms, I know what those symptoms are, and I have to get to the emergency room because there could be a recurrence of a, a cyst. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that was a very traumatic part of my life in 2003, and uh, I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, but you know, we'll get into this talk later. But it, it actually has um, changed me in a sense for the better. My sister-in-law jokes, uh, Suma. She says, Lynn, it seems like after your brain surgery, you have a little bit more of a sense of humor. Did they tweak something? <laughs> oh, I'm like, well, I don't know about that. But yeah, I probably, I mean, I've always been kind of sarcastic in a, in a, a nice way. I have to watch it. But yeah, know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, maybe they'd tweak something while they're in there. So uh, we kind of laugh with it because you have to kind of, you know, balance it out. You know, you want to be serious, but you don't want to get so serious that you become, you know, very mad about the situation. Right. And I'm sure the fact that it's been a while now, you're able to maybe cope with it a little easier yes. than initially back then. I'm sure yes. it's very scary. Very. And yeah. maybe time heals a little bit as you go along. Yeah. Does this affect you today then in any way? You said you seem pretty much completely healed from that. So is there any modifications or anything you make to your training or you, you just live with it as if, you know, it's everything's fine? Um. Well, I always tell my training partner whoever I'm training with, I'm like, you know, just by the way, I have a shunt in the right side of my head. 
So please okay. don't hit me there. Yeah. Uh, my reaction I've noticed when I'm doing like a cover uh, with my elbow is a little bit different, of course, on my right side mm -hmm. than mine. Um, I, you know, I used to, I'm a perfectionist. I mean, that that's eventually going to come out. I'm a perfectionist, especially when it comes to martial arts and it goes into my regular life as well. And, you know, I, it was like, well, that's not right. That's not looking right. You know, I should be doing this different, but yeah, it, I, I train differently in the sense that I know my shunts there. I tell my people that I'm training with that it's there. And I've had wonderful, amazing training partners who, of course, you know, what are they going to say? I mean, they're very, mm -hmm. they care about me and, and watching out for my welfare. Uh, another way that affects my training is, um, it's probably my Irish background. I'm pretty, pretty darn stubborn. I mean, I guess you can get that from the 2011 where I'm in my basement 30 minutes a day training yeah, for a year. Yeah. I can prove that. No, I, I, call, I don't call that stubborn. I call that persistent. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. That's good. So I was very, very quote unquote, persistent, persistent right. um, with my training. So, you know, with this, I, it was the, when the tumor came and then I went through all that experience, I was like, I'm going to do this training. I'm going to do it the best of my ability. I'm going to enjoy it. And, you know, I'm going to, it just changes your perspective on life because your life, our lives are all so fleeting and uh, that's just part of the cycle of our lives. And, um, I don't want to waste, I don't, I don't want to say waste, but I want to spend each day fulfilling something maybe I'm passionate about and, you know, mm -hmm. that your family, it doesn't have to be martial arts in particular, but I just know that life is fleeting. So do stuff that, you know, can influence others, encourage others, um, whether it be family or martial arts, uh, and spend that time because we don't know when that time is. And uh, life is uh, sweet and valuable. And I think going through that tumor helped me realize how precious life is. And, and even though they internalize the shunt, I always tell the story to the ladies, um, you know, they internalize the shunt. And they're like, wow, you got this bump on your head. But whenever I feel that shunt, that to me is just God's faithfulness that he brought me through that. And mm -hmm. uh, he brought me better out on the other end. And if I can yeah. give that experience as an encouragement to people, then so be it. Then it's a blessing to me as well to share that story. Yeah. I, I think just hearing the story, when others hear the story, they will be inspired to recognize how important life is and how fleeting it is. And yes. we really need to use our talents and passions the best we can every day. Yes, I agree. We talked about your professional career a little bit earlier, and I noticed that you mentioned that in the 17 years that you worked at Mercy Medical Center, yes. you had several opportunities to train women in self-defense. Yes. Why do you think it's important to teach self-defense to women, and what were your experiences like doing that? Um, well, I guess on the topic of self-defense for women, I, I believe it gives them a great um, opportunity of, uh, awareness. I mean, the, the main things you mean, you can Google it, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about awareness, awareness, avoidance and prevention. And like I said before, when I started out on training, it wasn't to become an instructor. It wasn't to teach. It just kind of flourished into that. Um, but it brought me to the point where I could take the martial arts that I was learning and martial arts, I mean, I'm still learning a lot of things. I'm not uh, proficient in all the underlying aspects of the martial arts, but 
I know that with self-defense, when, when I teach the women, I want them to learn that there's so many different parts of the body that they might not have thought of that they can use to defend themselves. Um, you know, a lot of these, like you said, these ladies actually were medical coders alongside me and they realized what I did. And then they would be like, wow, that looks like fun. Mm -hmm. I can learn something, you know? And so I would bring them in and I'd say, you know, you can use your hands, your arms, your fingers, your elbows, your hips, your legs, feet, and your voice to protect yourself. And they're like, wow, that is really, really cool. And mm -hmm. I teach them first to, you know, learn that you need to be aware of your surroundings, you know, and, and it's, it's heightens your awareness. Look around yourself, look people in the eyes. Don't be afraid of that. Make yourself not become the victim by having your head in your phone, walking around, looking in your purse, in the back of your trunk with your head in the back of the trunk, putting stuff away because you're making yourself possibly a victim. So I teach them about awareness of their surroundings. I teach them to avoid circum circumstances that could lead into uh, them being compromised in any way. And then, of course, prevention. You know, you don't, if you can prevent it from starting or happening, then you've already won the battle, you know, in that sense. And I, I teach them, too, that getting away is winning. I mean, I don't yes. teach, you know, yeah. all these follow-ups and these elbows and these knees and these drills to beat the crud out of somebody. That's not the point. If you finger exactly. somebody in the eyes and they move off and they've got basically blinded for a few seconds, you take off. You know, I, I usually tell my Girl Scouts when I train them in self-defense too that, okay, here's the drill. You're going to do the eyes. You're going to rake the eyes. You're going to slap the ears. You're going to elbow them. You're going to knee them. Okay, if the eyes work, scratching their eyes, you don't, you, don't, you don't have to stick around and do the ear slap and you don't have to sit around, you know, do the elbow. Right, right laugh at me you know what because i try to put a little bit of a humor in it. it's like yeah you don't have to do the whole drill if part of it works that's a win you take off and get out of that situation because a lot of these instances is life and death and you don't play around with that so it's it's been nice to be able to teach these women the self-defense because in learning it it strengthens their self-confidence strengthens them mentally and physically and it, it's it's just a great tool to help them realize too that it, when I do the classes, I start out with them standing, then maybe mm -hmm. a little bit lower on their knees, then on their back, and telling them that you know if you have a po person far away, get out of there. They get a little bit closer. This is what you can do. These are tools, and then you teach them some other things. When they get down on their back, you're still not out. You don't have to be the victim. You can use your voice. You can use several things on you that you don't realize to defend yourself. And so it's been a blessing to me to be able to, especially the girls, ladies in my work, yes, but the Girl Scouts even more mm -hmm. so. I mean, they come in and they just, I mean, they just want to hit something sometimes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> some stress out. Same with the ladies, they just want to hit something. But mm -hmm. in the midst of that, getting that stress out because of hitting something or learning something new, it's mentally making them sharp. It's helping them physically and emotionally and they're learning something. And to me, that brings a blessing on my life because it's like, wow, I am put in a position to share this and to teach somebody. And it's just amazing to see the looks on their faces. Oh, I never thought about that. And so it's just, it's just been a wonderful thing for me to be involved in overall. Yeah. I think it's great. Self-defense is so important to learn and all ages, girls, women, men, yeah. everybody. Yes. Um, Thank <music> you.
So tell me a little bit, you've, you've developed some other programs and I think you wanted to maybe talk a little bit about uh, training within the Filipino martial arts. Yeah. Um, well, when, you know, from the beginning, what we were talking about when we started the, the interview, I, I'm, I'm basically a college girl at heart, mm-hmm. a martial arts girl at heart. I love the sticks. I love the fluidity of it. Uh, I love the knife work. Um, so what I wanted to do is a lot of these ladies, again, came from uh, other medical coders that I knew at work. And I started when I was at Apex Martial Arts Academy, I started at least four different things that uh, I thought this would be beneficial. And so I started what was called Chicks with Sticks because it's just cute to say, mm-hmm. and it was really good on a shirt. And uh, <laughs> my, my idea was that Chicks with Sticks was Filipino martial art based. And so what I did, mind you, is a lot of these ladies weren't used to contact. I made it all female. So because some women, which I understand are apprehensive being in a, a male environment, mm-hmm. guys are there. So I wanted all female. So I actually took a base, a hard base with a weighted uh, weight on top of it, and then a big pole. And then I would lacquer the pole and give it some stability. And literally, I would be in my basement developing two rhythm and music using all these different Sinawali patterns, which Sinawali is, is with double stick, mm-hmm. weaving in and out. And I would teach them all these different routines. So they were learning Filipino martial arts, but they were learning in the sense that it was uh, more uh, cardio-based because they wanted to get a cardio benefit. benefit. So you're torsing, which means you're twisting, you're moving, you're getting your core, your arms are getting heavy to them. They're like, oh, my arms are really tired. I said, good, you're doing it right. You know, I want you to feel something. If you walk away and I, well, that didn't do anything. Well, I'm not strengthening your core. I'm not helping you with your arms, but I'm also teaching them. You're not just using, maybe if you're right hand dominant, I'm teaching you your left hand. And so this all incorporates into the collie where you're training both the left and the right side. And it, it affects the brain in different ways. So they're literally learning something through the chicks with sticks that they might not even realize. So that was one of the first things I did. They enjoyed that a lot. Then they wanted to get off of the pole and they wanted to hit each other. <laughs> not <laughs> hit each other, but they wanted to feel the rhythm of the sticks. Yeah. And when they did that with a person, it was just like light bulbs went off. We still worked with the pole, but then it, it, it flourished into one-on-one. And then some of these ladies broke off and they wanted to train with me on private lessons, which was awesome because they wanted to delve deeper into the Filipino martial arts, which is what I kind of wanted it to do anyway. Right, right. Yeah, that was my underlying uh, theme to get them to do that. And then I also taught a cardio boxing uh, class. So in a weighted class because they wanted to get some cardio and, you know, so we did some kickboxing classes, you know, kind of like the Taibo thing. I hate to bring that word up, Taibo stuff. But the mm-hmm. ladies were getting cardio workout, you know, and uh, that actually went into more of a boxing. And when I went to the new place or Kali uh, Academy of St. Louis, I wanted to do a boxing with Moxie. I always try to yeah. kind yeah. of phrase on it. But I hadn't got to that point because of COVID. But uh, I did that with ladies for a while and they enjoyed that. And then, of course, like I said, I developed a self-defense uh thing with our Girl Scouts chapter here in St. Louis to where we were actually a program partner with them. 
So they would send troops to us and say, here's a list of reputable places that you can learn self-defense, which was really an amazing thing that I worked really hard to, because I had to go for meetings and kind of tell them what we did. And they actually signed us up. And then the last thing I kind of worked on at Apex was Apex 101. And that was a co-ed class. Uh, basically, it was for people that didn't know much about the martial arts in general, a uh, mm-hmm. lot, lot uh, spectrum, but it gave them an hour's worth of coming and learning. Let's say they're going to come and do some Muay Thai drills. So they would come. If they were a student, it was free. If you weren't a student, you wanted to come try it for 10 bucks. you could come and learn some Muay Thai drills and then just experience it, you know, and if you like it, great, pursue it. So we did that for quite a while. So yeah, I, I you know, I guess I was pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I like the fact, because some people don't, are afraid to learn a traditional martial art or afraid for the real serious parts of martial arts sometimes. And, and the types of programs that you presented allowed people to be more comfortable and have it fun and engaging, but still with the true aspects of, of the martial art yes. in it. So yep. I think that's really important. So do you think more women are practicing martial arts today than in the past? Um, I think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, whether they go into it to become an instructor, I mean, that's, I think the beauty of the art, especially, you know, all the martial arts, you can be a novice, right? You can start out and say, I just want to do this for physical condition. Mm-hmm. And I'm perfectly fine that I, I don't want to teach it. I don't want to become a guru or Sifu, but I just want to come and train, get some stress mm-hmm. out from work. And then there's some ladies that say, okay, I want to do an intermediate. I want to kind of delve into, maybe I want to do a little bit of C-lot. Maybe I want to do a little bit of this because that's really cool, you know? And then yeah. there's some like me that, you know, I wasn't thrown into it, but it just evolved. It just is like, yeah. I want to do this. I want to just, now I want to teach because I see... I saw the benefits for myself, me- mentally, emotionally, physically, and I think more women are, and you know, for me, when I started, you know, I was a little apprehensive training with other guys. Now I don't think about it because, you know, there's a respect there, and you kind of choose wisely who you're training with. Not that every, you know, people have bad experiences. Some people do, but you just use wisdom and common sense and train with people that you know you can comfortably train with and learn the art and uh but yeah i think a lot of women are coming out and saying i want to learn something new and Mm -hmm. so many different types of martial arts now that maybe there weren't before and women are becoming more privy to it and going wow that's pretty cool you know and i think i think it's changing a little bit the dynamics and uh you know even though you uh, i thought okay it's a male dominant sport Boy, us women, you know, we're pretty darn good. We can yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, to the arts that guys maybe can't. And I think there's a nice balance there uh, that us as women, you know, can give for other women, and even you know, the guys can learn some stuff from us too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like the um, information that you shared about the fact that you you can start in a martial art, and and you don't have to have an ultimate goal if you don't want one. Right. But the fact is that it usually guides you and you end up doing things that you didn't realize yeah. were going to happen. You know, like being a, a podcaster, sitting here right. talking to women all over the world about martial arts. Yeah. And I don't think about that or writing books or magazine articles or the outreach that I do. I really never thought about any of that when I began martial arts. Yeah. So you really, you don't know 
what the path is going to be when you start. And you don't have to be an instructor. Yeah. You may do something else, but it will impact your life. Yes. Oh, in yeah. many ways. Yeah. So your ultimate goal in training women would be what? Um, help them realize that they could probably do more than they think they mm -hmm. can. Um, I, I think they need to give themselves a little bit of a, a break in the sense that, you know, we see these things in the movies are great. Um, but then we look at, you know, especially when you see these women doing these things, these stunts and martial arts on movies and things like that, like the Avengers and stuff like that. It's like, wow, that's so cool. That is just like, but, I, you know, I could never do that. I mean, I started when I was right around 42, 43 years old. I mean, I'm a late bloomer in this. I, I yeah. didn't do martial arts before this. And so you can't say that, you know, I, I'd like to tell women like, you know, I'm this old, Well, don't, don't put a number on it. You know, you can do a lot of things that you didn't think you could do. Yeah. Now there are some physical limitations. Yes. I mean, there's some things like, uh, I I've seen, uh, Brazilian jujitsu and I'm not a jujitsu person. I have done a little bit of it, but that's okay. If I don't fit into that, there's no fall or harm in that. Find what fits. You know, and so for women, I want them to try new things, realize that they probably have a lot more in them than they think. And then that gives them confidence, that gives them motivation, that gives them an outlet for a lot of things. And like you said, see where that leads. It might lead just like to be a novice. But mm -hmm. my ultimate goal in teaching women martial arts is to see the smile on their face when they realize something and go, wow, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't yeah. know that was applied. And my one of my favorite things of teaching women is uh, how to use a scarf, a scarf you use for you know winter around your neck. That can become quote unquote a weapon. It can be something that you can defend yourself off of. And I've taught them that before in classes. And when they learn it, their their brains just go, wow. So I think yeah. ultimate goal is to help them build that self confidence, learn something new, realize that they have a lot to offer. And also that there's so many ways to train, not just one martial art, but maybe many martial arts that help and build up the whole foundation of what you're learning. And I think it's a benefit overall, so many different ways. So. And what about Kali as far as self-defense? Well, Kali is, most people, if you're listening, know it's a, it's a bladed art. Mm -hmm. um, so some women might go, ah, I'm not going to pick up a, you know, a dagger, <laughs> a yeah. big sword. You know, most of us aren't walking around with a dagger or a sword. The beauty to me of Kali is it trains the empty hand. You know, so you get your double stick, you got your stick and dagger, you got your your big staff, um, your single stick, your double stick. Um, the nice thing about Kali is that you train with the weapon, quote unquote, the sticks or the staff. But then those same movements are applicable to empty hand. Right. So not just training, you're training drills, but you're training your mind, you're training your responses, you're training your muscles to memorize the drill. So that's why there's repetition over and over and over again. And I think it lends itself to helping women to learn how to defend themselves. You're learning to move your body in ways you haven't learned before. To, you know, sadly, we live in a world where things are pretty whack. Um, and you hear, you just watch the news to figure that out. Now, I'm not gonna walk around, I, I might walk around with a cane, that's a self-defense yeah. weapon. Right. I might walk around with my husband's walking stick, 
Uh, that's a self-defense weapon. I can keep someone at a distance for a period of time because I have something to keep their distance there. So you're just learning things that help you uh, in a better way if something does happen. Now, if someone has a knife, um, I, I love teaching collie knife work. Uh, if there is a knife, well, I've learned through repetition, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. That might, for some people might be like, well, that's that's a no-brainer. But if you train it properly, you get out of the way, you run. But if you're in a situation where it's tight, Kali teaches you to defend off of that knife and disarm it or just use it against the person that's trying to harm you. Because the person has a knife and is coming against you. They're not there just to have a nice little chat. And I, sadly, we do live in a world where you know there is a lot of violence. And um, I really believe wholeheartedly that Kali is one of the best ways to train your whole person to defend off of different attacks. Mm -hmm. I really. Yeah. And I think you mentioned too, in some of the general information in the questions that I sent that body language and voice, and you mentioned it earlier too, when you talked about the Girl Scouts, I think, but yeah. can be used to detour a possible attacker. And I think those are so important to learn that women sometimes do not recognize when they're not trained in a martial art that, Body language and voice are, are tools that they always have available that can be used long before a physical attack occurs. Exactly. Yep. So, yep. yeah, really important concepts that I, when I teach self-defense, I try to always talk about personal space and using voice because women don't like to yell. And I try to tra train them to yell no or stop or whatever word they want that yeah. will catch someone in their tracks, you know, as they're moving yeah. toward you. And I said, you know what, if they're not coming to attack you, the worst that has happened is that maybe you embarrass yourself, but who cares? Who um, cares? You know, just the first, protect yourself no matter what, and, and don't worry about it. Yes. Um, so as we, as we kind of round out the, the interview here, I have a couple of questions yeah. left. Um, how have you used martial arts, say, in your life, outside of actual martial art practice? Is there anything in your life where you could say, you know, uh, I actually use that mindset that I learned in martial arts, that perseverance or whatever it might be, somehow in your life? Yeah. Um, I would break it down for me when you had me have that question. I broke it down into at least three different ways, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. um, Mentally, uh, I am sharper. Uh, the funny thing is, is that this is probably going to be kind of weird to say, but I park my car in the parking lot. I can't remember where my car is. Yeah, right. But, but if I learn my martial arts drills and repeat them over and over, I can become mm -hmm. very sharp. And um, am I perfect? No. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do I learn from my mistakes? Yes, I remember David Hatch, Guru David Hatch, uh, Linda Hatch's husband. Um, yeah, he's and I know them as well. Yeah. Oh, Linda yeah. was actually, um, I wrote an article about her in my book. Or, yes, or I chapter. that. I have her autograph it too, because Linda is just amazing. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I had talked, he had put something out probably on social media. He says, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And that mm -hmm. is so, so true. I grew up with the alt, you know, the other saying, and, you know, mentally, when we practice something, uh, especially in the martial arts, we want to do it perfect. But I like how mentally 
the martial arts helps me think not just of martial arts when I do the drills, but it helps me just in regular life. It helps me think differently. It helps me be more sharp in my reactions. And maybe if I'm going to say something, maybe sit back a little bit. Maybe I need to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. And that's kind of my personality anyway. I'm a really deep thinker. Um, I, since I am an introvert, when I say something, I, you know, I usually take time to think, how am I going to phrase this and how am I going to word it? And so the martial arts has helped me a lot in that respect. Emotionally, of course, a lot of the things we've talked about uh, before with uh, just self-confidence, um, just being able to try something and achieving goals in my life that I didn't see possible before. So emotionally, it's been a huge uh, boost in my confidence, not just to uh, repeat the drills, but also to teach it. I mean, teaching it has actually helped me uh, become better at my martial arts. It's yeah. Yeah. Helped yeah, because I never saw myself as a teacher. And so I'll teach something. And I realized, you know, people tell me things and until you do it, then it doesn't really click. They say, well, you know, everybody's different. Well, yeah, everybody's different. But when you start teaching, you realize, well, how as a teacher, everybody is different. Everybody learns at a different level, at a different pace, in a different format. And so I think one of the hardest things for me as a teacher is learning what the niches are in each person and then training it to fit them in a sense that they learn it the best. So yeah, if, and do you find do you find that you learn so much more when you teach others? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it makes me a better. I mean, teaching it might sound strange. Teaching helps me become a better teacher, right? Yeah. So just because you say you're a teacher doesn't mean you're a teacher. But in teaching, I become a better teacher. Uh, the I would say that the emotionally too. Um, like I said before, I'm a perfectionist. I would get so frustrated if I didn't learn something. And then emotionally, I was distraught. I would yeah. affect everything I did because I took it so personally that I'm like, oh, I can't. It would hinder my performance. It would hinder my progression in the martial arts because of my frustration. I let my frustration of not being, quote unquote, perfect hinder me. And uh, Linda Ramsey is just I mean, she's become a wonderful friend. She's uh, one that works alongside Rick Fay in Minnesota. She's probably one of my best friends. She's. She's just been such a blessing. She is the person that slowed me down in my martial arts because I would get so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm training martial arts. You know, you get kind of giddy. And yeah. then I would throw a punch and she'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's awesome. But then she was so gracious and loving in the way she would help me slow down my movements. And in doing that, she helped my frustration, right? She helped me to slow down the movements She'd help me, she would tweak things, but the way she did it was so loving and so kind. And it, it really was, I mean, so, you know, Andrea, I know probably in your history, you have so many people that were integral in making mm -hmm. who you are. And I have had that same experience. And so emotionally, my frustration can be turned into a positive and not a negative, which I was allowing my emotions to get the best of me. And then, of course, as we talk physically, I have better balance. I'm aware of things around me. Uh, I remember being in the garage with my husband, and he was trying to get something, uh, I think a big shovel out of the way. And all of a sudden, the shovel came out, and I didn't even think about it. The handle was coming toward my head. I moved my head in a maneuver that literally made like a circle to get out of the way of the right. shovel almost hitting me. And I didn't think about it. I mean, it was just like, that's from training the martial arts. Yeah. That's yeah. From 
your muscle memory. And I, when I did it, I'm like, I just did like a, a crescent move with my head to get out of the way. And I just went on with my day. It's like, then later on, I'm like, what the stink? <laughs> it actually works, you know? Yeah. That's, I think, one of the neatest things that I've seen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's others that I just haven't recognized, but that thing just threw me for a loop. It's like, wow. And then like, you know, we've been talking. I use that to encourage my students. I use that to integrate that into the training and saying, this cannot just be in a, a dojo or a gym where you train. It translates into life in many different ways. So. Yeah. All said. Well said. Finally, uh, our last question, and it's always a, a thoughtful one, but if you were going to give some advice to a woman who is interested in learning a martial art, what would you say? There's a lot of women out there. Yes. I don't, I don't know exactly who listens to the podcast. I don't know if they're all martial art women or just people interested in martial arts or women interested in martial arts. Yeah. But I'm sure there's someone out there thinking, I, I would like to take a martial art, but just, it just either sounds too scary or I'm not sure what to expect or how do I get started? What, would, what advice would you give? So when you gave me the question, I, you know, sat down and I thought, well, if I was starting new, which like I said, I did, I started when I was 42, 43. So, uh, one, when I started, I talked to trusted people, people that were in my life circle, you know, friends, family, mm -hmm. uh, I talked to them and those who trained in martial arts and I wanted to get their take on, you know, what they recommended, uh, what they liked, what maybe they didn't like, uh, for Actually, of course, all the people I talked to were guys, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, until, of course, I got onto social media, and then I found all these ladies training martial arts, and you know what I did? Friend request, friend request, friend request. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I wanted that female encouragement, right? So I would say find someone you trust, and, you know, there are very good, qualified, wonderful guys who train, um, and so they have a lot of experience and advice. Uh, which I would take, you know, as a, a good thing. Uh, I'd find a place that allows you to sit in on a class and observe, um, see what they do. Uh, you know, we, we do that even with our kids' class and we'll, even adults. We say, well, come and look. You know, it's free. Come and watch one of our classes. Ask us questions. And if you feel comfortable, join in. You know, try it mm -hmm. and see if you like it. So find a place that lets you do that. Um, if you're uncomfortable with co-ed classes, try to find a female-led class. I know they're a little more rare, but one of my uh, motivations was that I would train to a little bit of uncomfortableness sometimes with guys initially, um, but I did it in the back of my head because I wanted to be able to bring an opportunity for women to train with women. So my uncomfortableness translates over, I want to give you the benefit of training with another woman who's, you know, had to be in a situation, maybe she wasn't comfortable, learned a lot. So find a place where you can find women if you want to, you know, train with just women, one-on-one, -on -one, personal training, private lessons. And the other one is that, you know, know if you start a class and you feel uncomfortable and you stop, that's not a fail. It's an opportunity you had to learn something. And it wasn't a good fit. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not giving up. Uh, give yourself some credit that you tried something new. Um, but don't give up and maybe try to find something else because like we discussed, there's so many different martial arts nowadays that you can be involved in and, and learn from. And so, and I'm trying to develop those opportunities for women that maybe I didn't have initially when I started the martial arts 
for them to learn in a very comfortable, fun, and like I said, I'm kind of a sarcastic, funny, I like to laugh a lot, and I, I make jokes and make fun of myself sometimes in class, not to disparage myself, but just to make them more comfortable. Yeah. And um, when they do feel comfortable, I can see where they shine, and I can see where they're getting things out of it. And so my goal, hopefully, when this COVID thing is over, hopefully, uh, is to get back into the Chicks with Sticks and do some more cardio um, and I just keep training. So, I mean, I, I've had a lot of people, like we said, along the way that have been a blessing to me. Uh, I gave you some of those names, you know, and mm-hmm. um, they've just been, a, you know, a godsend because I, maybe I could have stopped at some point. But, you know, a lot of these ladies are like, you know, encouraged me and just uh, and then the guys, too, have been just uh, a wonderful. So I've been blessed in the whole experience. I'm going to keep training as long as I can until my body says no more. Uh, of course, the, the way I train is going to change. Guru Dan Asana always talks about that. As we age, the way we train yeah. is yeah. going to change. And, uh, you know, uh, even Rick Faye says, you know, if he's sitting in a wheelchair, he's still training. You know, if he's on a cane, he's still training. If it's the arms, he'll train. If he can't do the lower body with the legs, he'll be doing, you know. So that's the mindset, I think, of martial artists when we train these arts is that's a lifelong thing. It's not just a temporary, I'm going to try this. Some people it is. No, that's, that's fine. We all find our niche. Um, and I think I found mine. And even my mom said, Lynn, when are you going to stop this? I said, I don't know. I don't think so for a while, mom. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adapt as I go because, you know, I, I can do certain things and I know my limitations and I, I, I have a family like all of us and we want to be there for our families too. So it's a balancing of your physical and your mental and emotional. So, you know, I don't want this to take away from my family. I want it to be an asset to my family. Uh, and early on, it, it, it kind of can take away with it if from your family life if you let it be dominating. And I did that for a while. My husband would pull me back and say, Lynn, this is too much. And so there's a respect there between myself and my husband that, yeah, that's too much. So I would tailor it back because my family is my life, you know, and uh, I love the martial arts, but I don't want it to supersede my family. I yeah. want that that core to be there. I want it to influence positively my family, not take away from it. Well, Lynn, it's been a really fascinating interview. I'm so grateful to have you on the show for you you to share your experiences and and advice. And I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I mean, I, like I said, I've written these things down before and it's been in print, but to actually verbalize it is just, uh, you know, and when you start talking, you realize, wow, I've been doing this and that, and it's like, it's, but like I said, at the end of the day, it's just been a blessing to me. Uh, I, like I said, I met so many different people and I could name all of them, but I won't because there's so many, but certain people laid a foundation. Other people's built upon the foundation and, and I grow Mm -hmm. and learn every day. And, uh, and I love the martial arts. I mean, it's been a blessing to me, uh, especially with this, like you said, with the COVID, I mean, to be online, with the MKG group every, uh, it used to be every day. Now it's tailored down to four days yeah. uh, during the week. It's just been a blessing just to see their faces and we'll just laugh and we just keeping the martial arts alive and even in lockdown. And that's been a blessing for all. Yeah. Thank goodness for those opportunities. Years ago when I started learning martial arts, we didn't have that. So uh, it's great that that's available in a time when we can't practice together hand hand-to-hand. I agree. So, all right. Well, have a wonderful day and thanks again so much. All right. right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.